you keep your Bibles open to Zechariah, that's where we're going to be today. Having finished the book of Mark, and we've been away for a couple weeks, we're going to get back into uh, this series, and it's the book of Zechariah. As you know, the children of Israel were in Babylon for 70 years in captivity, in exile. And when they returned to the land, the land was in absolute shambles. They return in stages, but as they come, uh, they find the temple has been completely destroyed. They find the walls of the city in rubble and ruins. And so God sends his people back. And there are a number of prophets that functioned and ministered after the exile, Zechariah being one of them. There's also Haggai, and there's also Malachi. Well, we take up Zechariah, which is a difficult book. So in the weeks to come, we're going to see visions and prophecies and all kinds of uh, tough but glorious passages of God's Word. But today's message is not tough. Today's message is not difficult. In verses 1 through 6 of chapter 1, it's very clear what this message is. In fact, he begins with a very blunt statement of fact, doesn't he? Did you notice verse 2? The Lord was very angry with your fathers. For 70 years, they've been in exile. They've been under God's judgment. And now they've come back and they're living in poverty and ruin. They know hardships. They know trials. And they're trying to claw their way back from their father's sins. The Lord was angry with your fathers. The text doesn't say this, but I uh, paraphrase here. Really? Oh, really? Zachariah, are you serious? You don't say. Tell us something we don't know. We just had 70 years in Babylon. We come back, our homeland is in ruins. We have lived with the consequences of our parents' sin every day. Well, this is not a gentle beginning for Zechariah. Zechariah is not very winsome. Zechariah is not tickling any ears. This is no pastoral pep talk trying to cheer people along. Zechariah is the prophet of the Lord. It is the word of the Lord, and it comes to him, and he preaches it. Three times, we're told, right? This is the word of, the phrase, the Lord of hosts. It's the word of the Lord of hosts. This is God's message. So this is not just the best advice from some kind of uh, post-exile Dr. Phil. That's not what this is. This is the word of God. This is not an Osteen type of pep talk or some kind of furtic uh, message that says, you need to look deep down inside of you. No, this is the prophet of the Lord speaking the Lord's message. And that message begins with, God was angry with your fathers. Those are hard words, aren't they? 
This is the voice of God. This is the supernatural divine wisdom of God, and he's speaking into life and into the trials and into the difficulties of the assembly of God's people. The word of God's not going to let them forget the God of the covenant, the covenant love that he has expressed and showed, and he's called them to be his chosen people. He's called them to be his. But this God of covenant love is also a God of holy anger, and he hates sin. Even when that sin is the sin of his chosen people. God is angry with your fathers. He was angry with them. And that's ringing in their ears, right? So you can think of Exodus 34, verse 7, that God, he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. They have, they're experiencing that. And so that message that God was angry with your fathers, it's ringing in their ears. And in verse 3, he turns it, it's not just your fathers. He calls on his contemporaries. He calls on those that are listening to him to repent of their present sins. Not the sins of their fathers. To repent of their present sins. He says, verse 3, Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Friends, this is repentance. The Lord says, return to me. Well, repentance from what? He's calling them to repent. But what are they to repent from? What is it that they are doing? What is the problem? Well, Zechariah doesn't lay that out here in these six verses. But if you'll flip over, it might be like one page in your Bible, to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is ministering at the same time, and in Haggai chapter 1, we see what a, one of the besetting sins of this people who've come back from exile. Here's one of the besetting sins uh, that's evident in their lives. And I'm going to start reading in verse 2, and I'm going to read through verse 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Isn't that a stark picture? Imagine you get your paycheck and you put it in your pocket and there's a hole in your pocket and it's all gone. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for, for, for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. 
Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above, above you have withheld the dew, and the earth withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills on the, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. So what are they, what is their besetting sin? You see their problem? They're shirking their responsibility. They've got a duty and they're not doing it. It's not a sin of commission. You know, sometimes we use that language, sins of omission, sins of commission. Sins of commission, I'm doing something. I'm actively doing. Well, they're not doing something actively terribly wrong. They're, they're committing a sin of omission. They're not doing something that they should be doing. They're tending to themselves. They're licking their wounds. They're trying to make a comfortable life for themselves. And they've got no time for the temple, the temple that's in ruins. They've got no energy for the Lord's house. Why? Because life is hard. They're trying to make this life for themselves. And so as a result, the temple will have to wait. It'll have to wait till we have finished what we are doing. They are neglecting to build the temple of the Lord. Maybe they just want to be normal a while. They've been in exile. They come back. They just want to take a deep breath. Let's get our homes established. Let's work this out. And then we can focus on some other things, like the temple. Can you relate to that? You know you were called my God. You know that God is to be your all in all. That you too were baptized on your profession of faith and you said, I'm going to rise and walk in newness of life. That was what you professed. But I'm so stressed out. In fact, life is so busy. You cannot imagine how busy my life is. There's no time in my life for the things of God, the things that God has called me to, the areas of my life where I should be being faithful to him. There's really no time for that. I mean, really, just think through your day. You're getting kids ready for school in the morning. You're busy putting food on the table. You are busy working, paying bills. Friends, when you consider all the things that you have in the week to do, you ever took this stance, reading the Bible is just going to have to wait. I'll get to church when I can spare the time. I really don't have the energy to pray right now because I've been spent. And frankly, I don't know if it would make any difference anyway. You ever been there? Living a life of holiness, obedience to God, being different from the world, it's very exhausting. <laughs> very exhausting. It's hard. It, it does produce hardships of a sort. And maybe you too think, I just want to be normal for a while. I want to I be normal. 
And in the course of saying, I want to be normal, we also say, Lord, I'm really busy, take a number, get in line. I've got other priorities right now, Lord, and you're not one of them. That's how God's people feel here in Zechariah. They're tired. They're worn out. They've got enemies on every side. Life is a struggle. And they just want to be normal. They want to establish some level of living standard, and then maybe they can focus on the things God has called them to do. But friends, is, James Boyce is very helpful in his commentary. He says, the reality is that they and we are not meant to be normal people. In fact, we won't be happy if that's the avenue we pursue. We're not meant to be normal people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may declare the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Friends, that's who you really are. That's who you really are. You are a peculiar people in the world as the world looks at you doesn't make sense to the world. The danger is when things do get hard, when life is stressed out, when we do feel those pressures, when the cost of discipleship is too high, in fact it seems impossibly high, we lose sight of whom we really are. We lose sight of who of the redemption that has been brought to us through the cost of the blood of Jesus Christ, the fact that he has purchased me to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and I, I lose sight of that, and I settle for normalcy. We settle for sin when we settle for that. We settle for mediocrity. We settle and we say, I would rather be conformed to the world than to be who Jesus Christ has called me to be. It's a call to repent. It's a call to be a nonconformist. You do not conform to what this world looks like, friends. That's not what you've been called to. You've been called to serve him. You've been called to holiness. We are called, here you go, kids, we're called to be weird. Now, I, when I say that, do not come in here next week with pink hair. That's not what I mean. I mean, when the world looks at you, they say, I can't figure that guy out. When your classmates look at you, they say, I don't know what drives that person. I don't, I don't know where does their joy come from? Where does their why, does, why do they insist on serving the Lord all the time? They never take a break from it. We're called to be different. We're called to be the person that Christ has died to make you to be. And that's not normal. And that's not like the world. We are to be distinct. We're to be set apart. We are to be holy. But I'm a realist. How many of us have fallen into the sin of normalcy? We use our circumstances to excuse why we look like the world. How many of us do that every day, multiple times a day? 
How many of us just kick it into autopilot? We set the cruise control. We wake up, we have breakfast, we put it in cruise control. And we live that way the rest of the day. Or we're, maybe we're backsliding. And I don't want to think what I'm called to be because that's going to remind me what I'm not doing. And we just continue in a state of a backslidden state. We continue in our sin. Or maybe we're just faking it. We're just, it's not genuine, it's not real. I've said I'm a believer, but you know what? I really don't love the Lord. And your life is bearing that out. You know, one time when I was living in Georgia, driving back from Georgia to Virginia, it was about a seven-hour trip, but it's late. It's probably one o'clock in the morning. And uh, we, I get to, a, there's a detour in the road. The highway is going to be closed up ahead. And so we get off on these little back Virginian roads. And I thought I was going the wrong right way. And about an hour later, I see I'm in Withful, Virginia. And I know Withful's about an hour past where I was previously, the wrong direction. I had to stop. I had to turn around. I was going the wrong way. Are you running away from the Savior today? Are you running in the wrong direction? If so, God's calling you back. Return to me. I'll return to you. It's a very clear message, isn't it? He doesn't mince words in these six verses. Friends, this call is also consistent, isn't it? Notice verse 4. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. So prior to the exile, prior to going off into Babylon, God had sent his prophets to Judah. And he sent his prophets with warnings and calls for the people to repent of their sin. God offered them mercy through the prophet Isaiah, who said in Isaiah 45, 22, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Come to me. He warned them through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18, 11, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you. I am devis- I'm devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way. Amend your evil ways and your deeds. He warned them. He pled with them through the prophet Ezekiel. As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil way. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Over and over again, God had sent his prophets calling the people to repent. Repent, turn to me, come back to me. Forsake your evil way and come to me. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't listen. 
They would not hear. They would not hear the word of the Lord. They would not listen to the prophets. In fact, as we know, not only did they not listen to the prophets, they murdered the prophets. And God himself eventually comes down in the flesh, and he looks over Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her, broods on, her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Isn't it a consistent message that God calls out? Repent, come to me, return to me. The people of God, though, they would not listen. The people of Jerusalem would not listen. And yet God's call to repent is consistent. At the end of the New Testament, you've got that lukewarm church, Laodicea, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Verse 19, he tells them to repent. And then in verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door, the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, that's a constant theme. Repent, come to me, I'll return to you. This is God's message. It's a constant message. But they wouldn't listen. And so God says, repent, don't be like your fathers. They refused to listen to the prophets. Jerusalem, they would not listen. Do not be like them. The Laodicean church, they refused to listen to the message of Christ, and they would not repent, and they would not come, and they would not have terrible fellowship with the Lord. And so we say this morning, hear the call to repent. Repent. Forsake your evil deeds and ways and come to the Lord. He is persistent. Zechariah warns, don't be persistent in sin like your fathers have been. God has been consistent, hasn't he, in calling people to repentance. And he's calling us to repentance today. Where you are, in your, your pew, your life. Don't be like these in the past that have refused to listen to the message of the Lord. Because, friends... This message is true. It's sure. Absolutely sure. Look at verses 5 and 6. Your fathers, where are they now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. So, where are their fathers? They're, they're gone. They've, they've died. Right? They pass away. They're going to all pass away. There's only one solid rock there's only one place that is sure and in which we place all of our confidence. There's one sure and unchanging standard to which we must always look. And it's not our fallible fathers who are going to die and not be here. It's not even our imperfect model of prophets, or can I say pastors? We're imperfect. Don't look to us. Look to the words and the promises of the Lord our God. 
they are sure. His words, his statutes, they will endure forever. God's threats are never idle threats. And his promises are absolutely sure promises. Both of those things. Look at verse 6. It says, the word of God overtook their fathers. Now that phrase, let me give you a word picture. Adults, hopefully you haven't experienced this too much. Teenagers, I hope you have never experienced this. You're heading down 127. And while you're moving quickly, you notice in your mirror someone has just come across the median. And their lights are on. And it's flashing. And your stomach drops. And you feel sick. And can I tell you, though, you're moving at a pretty good clip. It does not take that fellow long to catch up, to over, overcome you, and to pull you to the side. That is what the Word of God does. The Word of God arrests us. It catches up, it comes, and it brings us to the curb. The judgment of God was not just some empty threat. It actually fell upon their fathers, and they're taken off into exile. Can I tell you, God, his words are not empty, empty threats. They're true. And God keeps his word. You can count on it. Not only his warnings, he keeps his promises. So what does that mean? That means, well, it means a couple things. First off, it just means this. When he promises mercy, that mercy is sure. And that mercy is going to actually occur and be there. That God stands ready with grace to wash us clean. To, as he calls us back to himself, he, he stands. It's, it's not just some empty words. It's not some kind words. He actually means what he says. Repent. You return to me. I will return to you. He will. God in Christ has grace. Can I tell you? God has grace for the most wayward of us. The, those that drift the farthest. Every day we drift. He has grace to bring us back. So in this room full of people, I don't know how far you've wandered from God. In a, this number of people, I'm not, not surprised if there's some that have wandered far away. But I don't care how far it is. Come back to Christ. His grace is sufficient. Christ has paid for your sins. Christ will make you clean. Christ will restore the fellowship between you and God. Here is the word of God. He says, return to me, backslider, return to me. And he says, I'll return to you. Isn't that sweet words? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He's what? He's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Friends, what he says he means, and you can believe it. So if that's you today and you, you have drifted and you have not returned, hear the word of the Lord. Return, and he'll forgive you. He means it. But it also means that his threats are not empty threats. 
Did you know that the unrighteous, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And guess what? He means it. He means that. When Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Even if you prophesy in his name, even if you, so you've preached lots of messages, or you've cast out demons, or you've done many mighty works in his name, he's going to say, and he says in his word, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Can I tell you, he means that. He means that. He's going to say, depart from me, and he will mean that. But today's a good day. Today's the day of grace. Today you get to hear the word that says, return to me, and I will return to you. Do that today before you hear those words Depart from me. Which would it be? Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word. This is not the word of men. This is the very word of the Lord of hosts. So we thank you for it. Lord, we hear your word. Let us not be like those who have gone idly by and refused to respond to it. Or rejected it. Lord, keep us from uh, allowing our circumstances to justify not living for you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Lord, may each saint in this room be who they have been called to be. Who they've been purchased by the blood of Christ to be. And Lord, for those who have drifted and wandered off, would you arrest them by your sweet grace? And may they hear the sweetest words ever, return to me. Come back. I, I will return to you. I have not cast you off. And Lord, for those that have just faked it their whole time, may they hear those words. Return to me. Come to me. And may they do so before that last day when they hear, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. May we respond appropriately as your spirit gives us strength, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.